0: The following audio content is a talk given at The Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. Well, everybody, it is September. For those of you who have been away, I welcome you back. My name is Ryan Church. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at UPC, part of the team that helps Uh, lead, lead this church's charge and Young Life College charge here at the University of Washington and throughout Seattle. So glad that you are here. I have been away, uh, I think for the, I've missed the last six inns, and that's the longest stretch I've been away, uh, from the inn over the last 11 years. So for me, it is, it is no doubt, uh, it feels like, it feels like coming home, uh, to to be sure. I've been down in Pasadena, California, uh, finishing, my Master of Divinity at Fuller Seminary. Master of Divinity, strange name for a degree because at the end of it, what you really realize is that you have mastered nothing, much less divinity. Uh, if there's anything that, that when, you're, when you're studying theology and the things of God, what, you re, what this degree tells you in the end is really how little you know about God. So why they call it a Master of Divinity? I have Absolutely no idea. But I'm grateful uh, to the staff, both past and present, that have kept things uh, rolling around here. Um, They've helped me get to the finish line, and I am grateful for that. Uh, Hey, it is September, and as we get into a school year, in so many ways, it, it does feel like we're anticipating something like a New Year's Day. But my question for you is this. Okay, when presented with an opportunity that might be exciting, albeit a little bit scary, what stops you? What stops you from doing something perhaps a little bit different? What stops you from from doing that which you really, really decide, desire? And in that way, it, it's it's very, very exciting. But on the other hand, it's scary because you have no idea how you might walk into that space, how you might do that. Some of you, as you're as you're considering these things that that uh, that might stop you, there there might be any number of things that come that come into mind. Let me tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, seeing as that I've been gone, I haven't had a chance really at all to be up front this summer. There's a lot of new faces. So um, I've shared this before, but I'll, I'll share it with with you all again, that I am I am a sore loser. Okay, I always have been. In fact, some of my more recent friends uh, might even be astonished to know that I've actually gotten better over the years. I used to be way more of a jerk when it comes to losing. Well... Last year, last spring, there was a new game that hit the neighborhood. This game that these gentlemen are, are demonstrating called Spikeball. And it's, it's really, as you're probably seeing right here, it's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Okay? I, I would see these dudes outside my office window literally playing for hours. Some of them, like this one right here, was he was on our staff. And he would find a way to justify playing this and getting paid for it. Okay? I want you all to know he got fired. Okay, he is no longer on our staff. But there, so anyway, I would I would be walking home, and these guys would be out here doing this stupid thing, and they would say, "Hey, church, dude, you want to come and play some spike ball with us?" And I'd be like, "Oh, you know, guys, um, a no, I don't." And the reason is that I really I really believe that. Uh, I mean, if you notice what they're doing, they're hitting a small ball with their hand into a net, and and I found myself to be, like, evolutionarily above that. Okay? If anything, it shows you, like, as you're watching, you go, wow, people really have come from primates, and for that matter, not all that far. Okay? Now, the reality is that I declined the several offers you guys can sit down. Okay, I declined the several offers to play. Nice job, Petey. You're way too good at that. Um, I declined the offers to play because I knew that if I got into playing spike ball, I would quickly be exposed as cumbersome and clumsy, slow, not all that coordinated. And so I, I, I declined for the longest time. Well, finally, it rolled around later, late spring. I do get sucked into playing, and all my worst fears about it came true immediately (laughs) as I played spike ball. And honestly, I think I played a dozen games before I won the first game, and and I was playing a guy that only had one hand at that point. (laughs) And, you know, I mean, it felt good to win because I hate losing, but it showed you how bad I was at this. Why didn't I play this game? Because I was afraid of being found out that I would be found to be as clumsy and slow, as uncoordinated, as I knew myself to be. The fear of being found out stopped me from moving into something new and just kept me doing the same thing that I was always doing. And so again, I ask you, what stops you? What keeps you doing that which you've always done? Is it the fear of being found out? Is it guilt or shame from a sin, either past or present? Perhaps it's your own schedule. It's a preoccupation with success or your own performance. What keeps you from doing something different? What keeps you from growing in a relationship with God and perhaps in a relationship with others? What I want you, what I want to tell you, and what I really hope that you hear tonight, is that God wants to set you free from whatever it is that is stopping you from moving forward and trying and doing new things in your life. That's the heart of God, one who sets people free. I can stand up in front of you and know that that's that's God's heart and soul in this. So over the next three weeks. Here in September, Janie and I want to engage a a few things that over the, the years that we've observed stop us. Guilt, shame, a general feeling of unworthiness, competition and comparison, a lack of commitment. These are things that stop us. And I want to assert that ultimately all these things are related to some sort of preoccupation with ourselves. It's not always necessarily a preoccupation with that which is bad or that which is sin. Often it is just a preoccupation with ourselves and how we might be perceived. So let's let's get started by looking at some text tonight. But before we do that, let's take a few moments to pray before we do. Lord, if we are going to lose ourselves, we need to find you. And so we declare that as we come to your word tonight, we come seeking with hopes of finding you, with the hope of getting a vision for real life. And Lord, we know we can't do it on our own, so by your Holy Spirit, which we know is in this room with us, help us to gain a new, if not fresh, picture of you and your love for us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay. Uh, before we read some text from the Gospel of John, um, I want to introduce you to somebody that many of you are familiar with. This this guy named Peter. Uh, this disciple of Jesus often referred to as Simon Peter. And as we come to this story, I want, I want you to to picture uh, this perspective. On our, on our staff retreat last week, Janie led our staff through... Uh, Looking at a a Bible verse where we we looked at it from the perspective of several different characters that were in the story. It was a very powerful thing. I want to to invite you to look at the story tonight um, through the lens of Peter. And think like, like Peter has on one of those helmet cans like that I see uh, skiers and snowboarders jump into a terrain park and do all their tricks, or, you know, or, or I, sometimes I see skateboarders on campus or here on 47th, and they've got, they've got these helmet cams that help basically show you the perspective of, of what they're seeing with this camera that is attached to their person. So, so think, about, think about what you would see as, as we read this text you know, what would be seen in this, in this helmet cam of Peter? Well, a couple of things that might be seen before what we're going to get to. Um, the first thing that you might see, if you were to rewind just a little bit, would be to see the face of Jesus up close. And you might see, you might see Jesus kind of looking in, and if the volume wasn't on, he, he'd be looking with perhaps a, a solemn look on his face, and he'd be, he'd be holding up three fingers saying, Peter... Before the rooster crows, you are going to deny me three times. And then all of a sudden there'd be, you know, Jesus would be moving back and forth on the screen because Peter would be shaking his head going, absolutely not, Lord. I will follow you wherever you will go. I would lay down my life for you. Well, as you would continue to watch whatever is being captured in this webcam, you would see a lot of head shaking, a lot of, a lot of shaky stuff in the next few scenes because sure enough, Three times, as Peter is asked, "Hey, are you, are you with him? With this Jesus of Nazareth? Aren't you one of his disciples?" Again, the camera would shake. No, truly, I don't even know the man. Well, as as many of you know the story. Sure enough, Jesus is led uh, to the cross, where he uh, ends up died. But three days later, he he gloriously rises again. Probably leaving some of his disciples rather confused. Well, after Jesus has appeared to uh, a few of the disciples in other contexts, he finally shows up in a place where Peter could see him. And that's where we pick up the story. So continue to picture this from Peter's helmet camp. Peter says, I'm going out to fish. And the disciples said, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the, the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals. There were fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was still not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask them, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them. And, did the same with the fish. Okay. What are you seeing in that helmet cam? How did this story play out for you? Let me tell you a little bit about how this story plays out for me. Um, this plays out like one of those, I don't know, I might be a little bit weird in this way, but before I was in this job, I used to have a job where I'd do a lot of traveling, and I'd end up watching these these early morning TV shows, like on a sports channel like ESPN, and they were fishing shows, okay? This is like a fishing show. In these, in these fishing shows, the dudes always have southern accents, and they always catch fish in about three to five minutes. They're all like, hey, we're going to skiff right on over here, and uh, the water's going to be a little bit colder, cool cooler on these stones, and we're going to drop that. We're going uh, to present that bait, and that lunker, he's he going to take it. He going, he going to take that bait. Sure enough, guy starts reeling. Oh, 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 come on. Now, easy there, Billy Bob. Easy there, easy there. Oh, 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 oh. oh no, that, that is a beautiful fish. They never call it a fish. It's a fish. Fish. Oh, that right there is a beautiful fish. Oh, look at that belly. Look at that belly. Look at it. And then they hold it. And it's always catch and release. Hey, fish, fish, this is your lucky day, fish. Hey, have a nice day, fish. Okay. And then Three to five minutes, that same scene repeats, okay? Now, in the fishing show that we just watched in Peter and his disciples, it would have been not nearly that exciting because they caught nothing. Okay, the one thing that might have kept it a little bit exciting is the fact that Peter didn't have any clothes on, okay? So it's kind of like the adult fishing network, which let's leave that alone for right now, okay? But isn't that curious that Peter, that Peter is in the boat, you know and then when he's going to go for a swim that's when he puts his clothes on most people take off their clothes to go for a swim peter puts on his clothes okay i want to i want to suggest that that, that this is this is one of the key parts of the story okay so in in the way that this that this plays out with with peter kind of mixed with both fear and excitement and hopping into the water, swimming that 100 yard dash, and in, in, you know, I'm guessing probably not quite as fast as a, as a Michael Phelps or a Ryan Lochte, especially if he's wearing like some sort of, of garment, okay? Probably not going all that fast. Uh, but the reason that he would put that, that clothing back on takes us very, back to the very beginning of the Bible. That after he had denied this person that he saw three times, and this person emerges and sees, and, and he sees him again. There's this sense of he's trying to hide the guilt and the shame and the vulnerability that's there by again clothing himself. In the same way that when Adam, was, who had previously been naked but then disobeys God and shows up and he and Eve are wearing clothes. Somehow we put a lot of energy into hiding that, that guilt and that shame that we feel. So Peter swims to shore, you know, and he had caught that glimpse of Jesus in that webcam. But he swims to shore, and I want to, I in, in the way that this plays out in my head you don't really see Jesus a whole bunch in what follows. He looks back out at the guys that are bringing in the boat and the huge catch of fish. As they get in, Peter walks over towards the boat and helps pull the, pull the net in while Jesus is standing over by what the story says. There's, some, there's a fire, there's coals burning. He's already got some breakfast started, saying, hey, why don't you bring some over here? But here's the curious thing. How did they know that there were 153 fish? Why does John include that in the story? And how do we know? Well, in the webcam of my imagination, Peter brings this net in. And the other guys are going, well, he told us to bring some fish. But Peter, covered in guilt and shame, is doing everything he can to avoid confronting Jesus. So he's bringing in these fish. One, to, oh my gosh! I cannot believe he's here. Maybe if I just delay long enough, he'll leave, and I won't have to worry about this. Oh my gosh! I can't believe I denied him three times. Five, six. Oh, uh, uh, I'm just gonna count the fish for a while. Aren't we? Aren't we wired like this a little bit? Confrontation is hard, especially when we know that we've blown it i 've got a couple of cute red headed little boys, one that will be one uh, coming up here in uh, on October first, and then another that will turn four here uh, in just what another nine days here on on september thirteenth okay two red headed little boys, and the the oldest one, Carson, in the bottom of your screen there, he is in this phase where especially with the camera. When you say smile, that is, that is the cue that he is to do anything but smile, okay? He'll make silly faces. You can show some of the other pictures here. And this one, yeah, yesterday we went and rode the great wheel for the first time. I was like, hey, Carson, smile. And he's like, I don't want to smile. Okay, and then, and then you know, this one, Colin, Colin, the young one, is like perpetually happy. If you want to feel like a million dollars, go spend about 10 minutes with the young one. And, and colin 'll do that for you uh, and and Carson 's usually pretty cool most of the time, but pull a camera out, and it is bewitching for him well Carson is he 's gotten a little bit older, We've, there, there have been a, a few moments where he misbehaves he acts out and and one of the things that you have to do as parents, of course, is coach your your kids in social graces like apologizing well one night there was we had some friends over and Carson wanted to say something to my wife, Julie, to his mom, and, you know, and Julie was trying to finish the conversation with somebody, so Julie goes up, or Carson goes up to the person that Julie was talking with and just takes a big old swipe at him, okay, at her, actually, and of course, Julie and I reacted, you know, in, the short way to say it is we basically said, you can't do that, and you have to go apologize, and for for the literally the next hour carson came up with every reason why he couldn't apologize the most entertaining of which was well if i go back i might hit her again <laughs> okay <laughs> So I was like, okay, maybe we need to back off for this a while. But, but it was amazing that as we were seeking to engage this thing, that after Julie and I reacted, our son was clearly embarrassed, if not disappointed with himself. He would not look us in the eyes. He would not go and engage this person who he had otherwise been engaging all evening. And after about an hour of no eye contact and tears, finally he goes back and says, I'm sorry. Isn't it hard for us to do this? You see, this, this thing that we often experience, whether, whatever you want to call it, guilt, shame, um, embarrassment, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can be a good thing that reminds us of, of the heart of God uh, in the way that, that it plays out. The reality is that we do, in fact, do things that disappoint God. And when we recognize that, we are disappointed as well. It doesn't just happen with God. It happens in our personal relationships, right? Whether it's a boyfriend, girlfriend, people we live with, teammates, etc. Okay, where, where you blow it, you know it, and something has to be done about it. But it's not always easy. The problem is, too often when we get to this point, that guilt and shame just stops us when it is intended to be a tool that returns us to God, that 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 shifts our orientation away from that thing that is making us feel that way and returns us back towards God or towards that roommate or towards that teammate, whatever it may be. But so often... In guilt and shame, what happens is we get preoccupied with how we feel in that moment, and it becomes all about that embarrassment, that shame, and how how we mitigate that. When what's really necessary is a confrontation, and in this case, that confrontation happens as Peter Confront, later confronts Jesus, starting now at verse fifteen. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, "Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these these fish?" Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, "Feed my lambs." And again, Jesus said, "Simon, son of John, do you love me?" He answered, "Yes, Lord. You know." I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time. Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know, all these things, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. You see, finally the webcam has changed. From it just pointed down to Peter's hands and feet, his stomach, and and maybe some fish. From counting 153 large fish. Finally, there is this turning and this lifting up of his eyes and this camera to see the face of Jesus. And to see Jesus engaging Peter. With These questions now if this was was a romantic comedy or some sort of Hollywood drama certainly what would happen you know is Simon son of John do you love me yes Lord I love you and Jesus would respond by saying and I love you too bro I love you like a brother and even more it would be this sappy you know you know there'd be probably a a hug or whatever a high five and there's something but that isn't what Jesus does. I think sometimes it can take us a second to to really grasp how powerful what happens here is. Jesus doesn't say, I love you back. Love, Love you too. Love ya. Instead, he says, feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. God's greatest love is God's people. And earlier in the Gospel of John... What we have seen is Jesus equates symbolically the people of God to being sheep. So when he says, feed my sheep, take care of my lambs, he's saying, take care of that which I love most. Feed that, care for that which I love most. Now, uh, perhaps you've encountered this with a, a pet or a family member or something, but you only entrust that which you love to someone that you love and that you trust. This is Jesus' way of saying, I love you. And he does it three times. And scholars are more or less, unanim- they, they agree unanimously that, that uh, the literary device being used here, why he asks him three times is to correspond to each of those denials as if to say, it's all water under the bridge. Don't let this stop you. Don't let this stop you. Don't let the guilt, the shame, what's happened in the past stop you. I love you. Feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. Quit navel-gazing and look around you and care for them. Love them. So often in the work that I've, I've, I do here and what I've observed over the last... 11 years as a college pastor is people who who are struggling perhaps in their faith they want to they want to feel something more they want to know something more uh, about Jesus perhaps they want to step into a leadership role and serve but they they disqualify themselves you know for be because they you know, they, they can't stop looking at pornography on the Internet. Or they have a, an eating disorder that continually trips them up. And they say, I can't, I'm not worthy. I can't do this. They're stopped. Dead in their tracks. Thinking, stop with this preoccupation of my own sin. That's the way that I think we compound some of these things that, the, that we do. Is when we stop from the ministry or from the relationships that God might otherwise move us into because we're preoccupied with whatever it is that's going on in us. Jesus is seeking to set us free from that, to lift our eyes up and first see him saying, I love you. You're free from that. That does not define you. And in so doing, taking our eyes off of ourselves to see a much bigger picture to get us, in essence, to quit thinking so much about ourselves. When I think about, now at age 36, when I think about the ways that, over the past, say, decade, when I have felt most empowered in my faith, and for that matter, other relationships, it's when I'm not preoccupied with myself. Isn't it it interesting that in Peter's failure... He again meets the Lord. And I can tell you that it hasn't been in my great um, successes or moments of great recognition where I have felt the most joy in the past decade. Rather, it's been in those moments where all all of a sudden I realize, oh my gosh, I'm having a blast. This is often. It's often it's on a walk with somebody on our staff or on a walk with a student, often on a mission trip where you're so locked in with, with the needs of others and helping them that you just quit thinking about yourself. And there's these, these incredible moments that I've had where I go, wow, I actually feel really great about myself right now. And the reason is because I wasn't thinking about myself. Whatever it is that is stopping you, guilt, shame, embarrassment, a schedule, pressure to achieve, whatever it might be, God longs to set you free from that. Practically, he invites you to lift up your eyes and to look around, first to see him, and then to see the needs of people all around you, people who need exactly the same thing you do, who struggle with exactly the same thing you do, and to walk towards them, to embrace them, to love them. The invitation to Peter is an invitation to us as well. Feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. Care for my sheep. Okay, take our... Let's let's commit... Individually and as a community over this coming year, to take our eyes off of ourselves, to practice this, that we might boldly go and love other people. We're gonna talk about that a lot this year at the end. I hope you come back. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a God that sets us free, that you do not keep us in that place of guilt. Shame, embarrassment, but that the plan is that you are also going to use us. Lord, we ask your forgiveness for the ways that we stop because we're preoccupied. Um, And Lord, we ask that you would empower us uh, by your spirit because you have set us free. Um, So, Lord, we know that you have given us a spirit of um, of power. And self-discipline. And so loose that spirit in us as, as we continue tonight and go from this place. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.